God. May we put our trust in you and you alone. May we build our lives upon a firm foundation of your word, the truth of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this time that we've gotten to spend together to sing praises to you and lift our hearts and glorify your name. As we continue with worshiping, hearing your word preached over our people, may we tune our hearts into what you're calling us to do. May we respond in complete obedience to what you're asking in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated, but as you're seated, I'm going to ask that the kiddos in the room come on down for children's time. We're having a children's time with Raymond this morning, so head down this way, kids. Mm -hmm. Guys, come on down here. This mask is causing problems. Trickling in. Come on down. You can sit there. You bet. I'm just glad you guys are here. You know, I'm wearing a mask. And the last time we had a children's time, I wasn't wearing a mask. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, we've been wearing these masks. And something kind of strange. Have you ever gotten a mask where it goes over your eyes when you're putting it on? Yeah, I've done, I've done that a few times where I've... I've gotten it, and my mask is even kind of scratching my, my microphone right now. It makes that kind of weird noise. But sometimes, you know, you put your mask on, and you got your eyes covered, and you got to bring it back. But sometimes, even with our eyes not covered, there's things that we can't see. What am I doing right now, right now with my mouth? Can you tell I'm smiling? No, you can't, can you? Now what am I doing? I have my tongue sticking out at you. <laughs> Isn't it weird? There's so many things that we can't see, even though we have our eyes to see. I know. You know, and, and we're going to see a story today about a man. We don't even know his name. He's called a nobleman or an official. And, well, we're going to find out. And I want you guys to tell me after the service, if I did a good enough job of explaining it, okay? And we're going to see in his life that there's something that he had to do that he could not see. And that's called faith. Faith is doing something that we cannot see. Sometimes God calls us to do things that we don't understand and we can't see them. And that's called faith. We trust God. So what I want you to do is listen real carefully as I talk about this guy. Faith is very good. You bet it is. Faith is helping us to see things that God is doing that we can't see with our two eyes. So you all let me know at the end of the service what it was that this man had to see that he couldn't see. And that's called faith. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm glad we're getting ready to get to do this again. And I'm going to pray for us. And then would you kind of help your parents to listen to me? Because they have trouble listening. So help your parents listen, okay? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the fact that you have given us faith. And faith is seeing things that we can't see with our eyes. Believing you, it's trusting you. And for us to be able to look at this man whose name we don't even know and see how he demonstrated faith that helps us to grow in our faith. And that's my prayer for each one of these kids here, that they would grow in their faith and their trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming down and visiting with me. Because I have my mask on. That's what happens. I'm going to take my mask off so it's not so bad. How's that? Okay? Good deal. Thank you all.
good to have those kids back down here, isn't it? They kind of bring a little energy. Uh, and I've got to warn you, uh, I did kind of a sleep study in the first service. Uh, it was mainly just in these four sections that people were falling asleep. So just kind of want to warn you ahead of time. This is not one of those sermons that's just going to light you up, but it's some really interesting, important, important information. But uh, it's, it's part of this journey that we're on. We're talking about the great interruption that John had in his life, and he wants to share that with other people. He wants them to understand how if they will allow Jesus Christ to interrupt their life, everything eternally can be changed. And that was his purpose for doing that. It's 19 centuries ago that, that John wrote this, and he has this purpose in mind that he wants us, every reader, every studier of this book, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and that he can indeed change each of our lives. That's his purpose. And the word believe is used almost a hundred times in the Gospel of John. It's a big buzzer word for him, and we're going to see a story about that today involving a man whose name we do not know, but we know several things about him that are very important. I know a number of you are praying for someone uh, to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior during this coming year. And some of you in this room, some of you listening online, uh, may not yet be a Christian. And that's our prayer for you, is that you would come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your life would be forever changed. J.D. Greer is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he has an, uh, an initiative that he's called all of us as Southern Baptists to embrace. It's called Who's Your One? Who's your one person that you are praying for that would become a Christian in this coming year? You have someone. You're praying for them. You're thinking about them. Even now, I hope their, their face and their name comes to your mind. And as we go through this particular uh, study today in John chapter 4, I hope that you'll be thinking about them and praying for them as well, that they would come from belief to being a believer in Christ. And before we do that, why don't we just take a moment to pray? You pray for that one person maybe two or three, maybe a whole family, maybe a series of people. But let's pray together for that person and try to put their name and their story into this particular story that we see today. So let's pray. God, we, we do know that the greatest need of anyone's life is to know and love you as Lord and Savior, to have you forgive us of our sins and enter into a relationship with you where your spirit literally lives within us. It is a mystery beyond our comprehension but you have made it so plain, so true, so clear in your word. So, Lord, I pray that for each person that we are thinking about and praying for, that they would come to know you and believe in you as the Lord and Savior of their life during this calendar year. Help each of us as Christians to recognize that is the greatest need for us to pass on to other people, and that we would be intentional and urgent about sharing the good news. Lord, we know that no one comes to you uh, on their own. It is only by you drawing them to yourself, but miraculously and in a way that we can't comprehend you, you choose to use us as part of that process. May we avail ourselves to be used by you to see people come to know and love you as a Lord and Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, John uses believe a lot. and We're gonna see that there's a little bit different slant on the word believe as used in his gospel. Most of the time, it refers to believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but he helps us to see that there's a difference between having a belief and believing in Christ. If you remember from grammar that belief is a noun, it is a person or a place or a thing, and in this context, it would be a substance or a quality. It would be, it's my belief that Jesus lived. could be, it's my belief that Jesus was a person in history. It is a thing. It is a belief that that existed like a fact. Believe is a verb, and there's an easy way to remember it. Believe has a V in it, and it is a verb. It is an action word. It means I believe, I'm continually believing in, I'm doing something about my belief that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's what happened in the life 
of John. That's what happened in the life of this man, and that may be one of the reasons that John chose to use this particular piece of history, because we know at the end of the book, he says, you know, there's a lot of stuff I left out, but for some particular reason, he chose to insert this story because I think it reflected his own journey. Everybody's on a journey, moving from belief to believing in Jesus Christ. John had a belief about Jesus. When he left his boat and started following Jesus, he had a belief about who Jesus was. And after the resurrection, he believed in him. Again, it may sound inconsequential, but it's incredibly important for us to know. John and this man, called a nobleman, come to believe in Jesus Christ. What are the roadblocks to believing? Where we get stuck, where we just have a belief, but we're not really practicing that belief by believing. What are the roadblocks for that? Well, let's look at this story together, and let's see if we can see a couple of things that might help us to move towards spiritual awakening. Now, I want to show of hands. How many of us in this room are praying for and longing for spiritual awakening in our lives, in the life of our country, in the life of our community, in the life of our church? That's something that you're praying for, you want, you hope. Yeah, that's all of us. We want to see God do something fresh and new in our lives. We want to better know him. Uh, my son was sending us a picture even this morning of 2 Peter 1.3. says that as we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything for living a godly life. And as we know Jesus Christ better, we will experience that divine power to live the way that he has intended. Well, in John chapter 4, it says, after two days, he left for Galilee. Remember that he left from Jerusalem, and he's going up to Galilee. And last week, we saw that he went through Samaria, and he saw the woman at Jacob's well. He stayed there for two days because they were so, so uh, receptive. They were excited to hear what he had to say. And so he left there after two days, and it says in verse 44, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And that's where he's going. He's going to the area of Galilee. He's been in Jerusalem. He's gone through Samaria. He's going up to Galilee is where he grew up. And he notes there in verse 44 that he has no honor in his own country. We'll come back to that. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now, that seems like a contradiction, but we're going to try to better understand that in just a couple of minutes. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. And they also had been there themselves. So they saw Jesus really light up the place in Jerusalem at Passover. So once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, and that's where he had turned the water into wine. We talked about that several weeks ago in John chapter 2, and it says, and there was a certain royal official, some of your translations will say nobleman, whose son, listen to the story, whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. His son was close to death. Verse 48, Jesus replies. It sounds like such a, a, a harsh res response. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. We're going to better understand what he's saying in a minute. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said, go. Your son will live. So the man left, took him at his word, departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met with him, and shared the news that his son was alive. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Verse 53, it says, Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Something happened in this man's life. It's the same thing that we want to happen in a friend's life or a family member or maybe even in our own life. When we move from belief to believing, it's that journey, that process. It's very seldom does someone hear the name of Jesus for the very first time and they believe in him as Lord and Savior. It is a process of better understanding who he is and what he has offered and realizing how much we need him is a process of going through that. So what are the roadblocks that keep us from moving from belief to believing? The first one is familiarity. Look back at verse 44. It's a parenthetical statement in which Jesus had instructed his disciples and told him, 
pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. He was quoting from Isaiah 53, but why is that? Why would a prophet not have any honor in his own country? It's because Jesus grew, grew up there. So all the people that are looking at Jesus who's coming back, and they're saying, well, that's just Mary and Joseph's boy. He grew up here just like all the rest of us. Did you know that there's a reason that I pastor in Beaumont, Texas, instead of Arizona? If you were to drive 1,100 miles west on I-10, you would come to a small community called Benson, Arizona. You would turn at that point south, and you would travel maybe another 25 miles, and you would end up in a little town, now it's a pretty good-sized town, called Sierra Vista, Arizona. That's where I grew up. The reason that I don't pastor there is because I grew up there. All the people there would remember that knothead kid and all the harebrained things that he did. And they would have a very difficult time embracing him as a minister or a pastor or a religious leader. And the same thing was happening there. You know what it's like for you to go back and see all those people that watched you grow up. And even though you're 95, they'll still reach over and rub you on the top of their head Talk about when you were a little kid and remember what you did, right? They were doing that to Jesus. We have some, some guys in our church that have grown up in the church and they're now going into ministry and are ministers. And sometimes you look at them and say, wait a second, that's not legal. I mean, I know what you did at the church. I remember those things. But we all deserve the right to grow up and become adults. But sometimes familiarity can be a roadblock for us getting to believing. We become so familiar with something that we fail to see it with fresh eyes. Interesting thing happens to people that, that have cataract surgery. Some of you in this room may have had that, but cataract surgery, someone comes out and they say, whoa, I never knew there were so many colors out there. They'd become so familiar with things just looking kind of dull that they thought that's the way it was. It's called Seven Last Words of a Church or a business. We all know what they are, right? We've never done it that way before. We've never done it that way before. 25 years ago, people were saying, oh, that internet thing, that's just a passing fad. We're not going to have a, what's it called? A website? It's interesting how familiarity causes us to not see the new things. Six last words of a church or business. We've done it that way before. We've never done it that way, so we, we're not going to try it, or we've done it that way before. It didn't work out so well. We're, we're not going back. And now that I'm an old man, I find myself kind of thinking the same way about some things, and I have to remind myself, wait a second. Just because we've never done it that way doesn't mean that it won't work, and just because we did it before and it didn't work out, maybe we need to try it again. Sometimes we think about spiritual things so much like that. I've never seen marriages restored, we say. And so their marriage can't be restored. I've never seen a man like that ever change. So there is no hope. I've never seen something like that happen and it turn out well. And we have this like, this is the way it's got to be. It's always going to end up at the same destination because we're familiar with not seeing it differently. Hasn't this pandemic helped us to see how settled we were with familiarity? It's caused us to, to re-examine some of the things that we've become so familiar with. And some of them we've, we've laid aside and we said, you know, we really can go on without that. See, the people here had a tough time seeing Jesus as a Messiah because they were familiar, or so they thought, with who he was. We have to be careful with that even in worship, don't we? Singing song, environment, we all sit in the same place. I'm guilty as charged. I always sit in the same place. And if you sit there, I'm going to ask you to move. We have this familiar feel about things. And if we're not careful... That familiarity will lull us into complacency. And if we want to move from belief 
into believing like we have never believed before. We have to wrestle with our familiarity and invite God to do something new and fresh in our lives. So that's one. Another roadblock to believing is misconceptions. Follow along the story again. Verse 45, it says that when Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now you say, well, wait a second. He just said that he's not going to get any honor in the place where he was raised, but now they're welcoming him. Why? Because they had been to the Passover. They had seen the things that he had done. They saw the way that he challenged the religious leaders as he drove the, the, the money changers out of the temple. And they're thinking, misconception is, he's coming to overthrow the Romans. So yes, we will welcome him. Will he be welcomed as, as the Messiah the way that he is supposed to be? No. But they're very much interested in him coming and doing their bidding. Once more, he visited Cana, it says, in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official. So we're going to have the misconception of the people as well as the misconception of the official. The people believed that he was a different kind of Messiah than, than the one that he came to be. And then this, this official is going to have a misconception about Jesus as well. This royal official, who was this guy? He probably worked for Herod. Herod Antipas was the guy that took over for his dad, Herod the Great, from 3 B.C. to 39, uh, AD 39. Big span of time. He was the Herod that took off the head of John the Baptist. He was the Herod that wanted to see Jesus perform miracles. He was the Herod that was alive when Jesus died. He was the Herod that you see die in the book of Acts. And this guy probably worked for Herod. He was a man of great influence, great power, great wealth. Some commentators think that maybe he was even a part of the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the intervention of God. They were, they were literally more like a club than a religious institution. And here is this guy, and he comes to Jesus, very distinguished, very prestigious guy, and it says that his son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, what does that tell us? He comes to Jesus in Cana, which is about 17 miles away. And he has come, maybe in a chariot, maybe he has walked, but he's come a great distance to see Jesus. And notice what he does. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee, he went to him, traveled the 17 miles, begged him. This is a nobleman. He's not used to begging. He's used to paying or wielding his influence. And he is begging Jesus to come and heal his son because his son is close to death. What are his misconceptions there? Number one is, he believes that Jesus must come to his house for his son to be healed. Now, as parents, we look at this and we can feel the heartache. We can, we can just sense the ache in his spirit. His son is nearly dead. He is left. He's probably tried everything. In fact, that's probably another one of his misconceptions, that Jesus is his last that's one of the big misconceptions about Christ. He's our last hope. We'll do everything else, and then if it doesn't work, we'll turn to him. And here he is, begging because his son is close to death. He may have left his son for the very last time seeing him alive, but he's traveled the 17 miles to see if possibly Jesus Christ can help. And he says to Jesus, I need you to do two things. Come to my house and heal him. And you need to do it right now because he's about to die. What was he saying? You can't heal him unless you come to my house. Misconception. You have to heal him before he dies because you can't raise him if he does die. Now, imagine being a parent, and you've come. Some of you have lost children. You know the ache of that loss, the greatest fear and hurt of a parent. And as you think back on that experience, and you ask Jesus to do something, and he responds differently, come to my house, heal my son, and then Jesus says, go. Your son will live. Should I trust him? Imagine what that father had to do at that point. 
He had to make a decision. He had to rule out all of his other misconceptions about who Jesus was and how it had to be done. You ever have a misconception about how God operates? It has to take place now. It has to take place this way. I expect God to work a certain way in my life. It doesn't always work that way. Many of us have had unanswered prayers, haven't we? In which we prayed for something and it didn't turn out the way that we wanted. But it wasn't unanswered. It's just God chose to answer it in a different way, as does Jesus. Go, and your son will live. And what Jesus was giving that father was an incredible gift to grow his faith. Because another roadblock to believing is trust. Is truly trusting God for the process as well as the outcome. Look at verse 50. Go, your son will live. It says that the man took him at his word and departed, but what was that like? Your son's dying 17 miles away. You know that this prophet seems to have incredible power. You've begged him to come to your house, but he won't. He says, go and your son will live. If I don't go, does it mean he won't live? And what if I just misunderstood him? And I go and I get back, and he's dead. My wife's going to scream at me and say, why did you come back without Jesus? And so he's walking back, wondering, should I have stayed and begged longer? Should I have insisted that he come? Should I have pulled out my, my Herod card and made him come? Should I have given him money to make sure that he would come? But he walks away. I think one of the great struggles for us in moving towards believe, towards believing, is to have that kind of trust. It says the man took Jesus at his word and departed. The word that John uses there for what we see is took him at his word is believe. But it's interesting for us to see. He believed in what Jesus said about his son. That's all he believed. He didn't believe the whole picture about Jesus. He simply believed that Jesus said he was going to be okay, so he was going to be okay. That's what he believed in. And he went back. But notice what happens as he goes. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. It's more than just that he hadn't died. He was back to normal. When he inquired as to the time when the son, his son got better, they said yesterday at 1 in the afternoon, the fever left him. That's an important piece of information for that man. Because as he is walking back and his servants say, your son's okay now. And they would have said, Oh, it was yesterday, probably about 7 in the morning. He would have said, okay, that had nothing to do with Jesus. Maybe just it ran its course, and now he's okay. But then all of a sudden, they say it was one yesterday, the exact time in his mind that he recalls when Jesus said, go, and your son will live. And all of a sudden, something begins to change. He realizes that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. You know, the difference between this man and the rich young ruler is that he trusted Christ. You remember the story of the rich young ruler you find in, in Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, there's only one thing that's missing in your life to give you eternal life. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And that's not a works-based theology. It's not a matter of sell everything that you have and then you'll have eternal life. He's saying you sell everything because that's what's keeping you. That's the roadblock between you and me. And then you come follow me. And it says that the rich young ruler left sad. He didn't follow Jesus. But this man, he did. He trusted. You think about Thomas. Thomas, after the resurrection, before he had seen Jesus, said to the other disciples, I'm not going to believe. I refuse to believe until I see with my own eyes. Sometimes we do that. God, I can't trust you unless you do it my way. And trust is saying, God, I can't see it, but I'm depending completely upon you. 
And so we get to how do we arrive there? How do we arrive at believing? Look at verse 53. It says, he and his whole household believed. Again, we read that in the English, and it may not seem very significant, but the story starts off as this man going to Jesus. Jesus tells him what to do, and he believes in what Jesus told him. Your boy's going to be okay. He gets back, and he sees that his son is alive, then he believes in Jesus. And the word that's used in the original language means that he believed in Jesus and never stopped believing. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why it could be this guy's, it could be Cusa, it could be the, his wife, Joanna, is listed in the Gospels as a follower of Jesus Christ that helped out with the ministry. That be, could be who it is. It's all speculation, but that may be who it is. It's his faith. We get there by having faith. The mass that we talked about earlier, things that we can't see, but we trust. We believe when we act on our belief. When a belief is something that we start believing in, we believe in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6. Faith is that thing that we hope for, but we cannot see. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. You know, one of the things that we struggle with is trusting in God to do something. But you know, when you're struggling with that, you are pleasing God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me ask you this final question. Do you have a belief about Jesus? Or are you believing in him? The friend that you're praying for, the family member that you're praying for, a person that's not yet a Christian, do they have a belief in Jesus? How can you get them to believe in Jesus? Note the progression of the story here. It says that Jesus went back to Cana, where he turned the water into wine. And now he is bringing a boy back to life. He created new wine. Now he creates new life. That's the journey we're talking about. God doesn't want to be just a magician that we rub like a genie bottle and we get what we want. He wants to be a Messiah who gives us new life. Do you have that new life? Have you believed that God really does love you and created you to have a relationship with him? That he loves you that much that he wants to be with you? But just like this man discovered, there was something that was separating him from God, and that's our sin. Our sin eternally separates us from God unless we embrace the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made to take away our sins. We humbly repent of our sins, and we believe completely, trust completely in him. We invite him to be the Lord and Savior of our life. Some of you have heard me explain that dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Can you explain that to someone else? Can you simply rehearse the words that you just heard and share that with someone and lead them to Christ? That's my prayer. And if you haven't received Christ and you're in this room right now or listening online, I pray that you would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all of my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, we know that a prayer like that is a statement to say, I once had a belief about Jesus, but now I am choosing to believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Lord, we are surrounded by friends and family and many within culture that have certain beliefs about Jesus. Maybe he was a good man or a good teacher or said a lot of interesting things. And our desire is to lead them into believing that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us from our sins. Help us to sense the urgency of that. 
Lord, we see the compassion of the way that you, you dealt with this, this royal official. You graciously ministered to his family, yet you helped this man to see the greater need is to believe in you. Help us to do the same. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to use this time of worship to pray about just your relationship with the Lord. Are you believing in him? Believing that there's nothing he can't do? Sometimes in our culture we believe that things won't work out unless and God can do anything, anywhere, anytime, with anything. So let's trust him completely. Maybe more than we ever have before. Let's stand together. Let's worship as we do.